Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. I'm Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Bliss by Jess. And I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. So today we have Kelly Hogue on the podcast, who is a behavioral health advisor and founder of Root to Rise Health. Kelly helps clients get to the root of their behavior to be able to make sustainable long-term changes to their habits and their health. Kelly studied psychology and has a master's of science in applied behavior analysis and is also a certified integrative health coach. And for context, applied behavior analysis is a scientific discipline based on applying techniques based on the principles of learning to change behavior of social significance. So in this episode with Kelly, we discuss how she got into this field, when she decided to shift her focus to health and wellness and combine everything she's learned, the challenges she experienced going through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and how she used her behavioral analysis skills to heal herself from becoming overly obsessed with nutrition and exercising during that time. We also talk about her philosophy around changing habits based on self-respect and self-worth. We talk about how she works with clients and we even get into some live coaching where I share my struggle to get into a regular meditation practice and Kelly helps me shift my mindset around that. But before we get into that episode, Jess, I know you have some of your own really great tips and tricks for changing habits and with Thanksgiving just a week away, when this comes out, it'll be a few days away. Uh, I would love for you to share some of those tips and tricks for people uh, to keep in mind during the holiday. Yeah. So before I get into those specific tips and tricks, I actually wanted to share with you an article that I read on NPR and it talked all about how habits are formed. And in one part of the article, it was really interesting to me because it talked about how people perform automated behaviors like pulling out of a driveway or brushing your teeth and you do it the same way every single time if you're in the same environment. But then they talk about if you take a vacation, it's likely that that behavior will change. So you might put your shoes on in a different order without paying any attention because once the cues change, patterns are then broken up. And it talks about that being one of the reasons taking a vacation is so relaxing because it helps break certain habits and can be one of the most proven successful ways to change a habit. And I thought that was fascinating. And in the article, they even say that if you want to do something like quit smoking, you should do it while on vacation or a staycation because all your old cues are out the window and your old rewards aren't there anymore. So if you have this ability to form a new pattern and hopefully be able to carry it over into your new life, then that would be awesome. And it's 
Also probably why it can be difficult to pick up positive habits when you get back home from a vacation, like going to the gym or preparing food at home. Hmm. And when I got back from my Italy trip, it took me almost two weeks. I did get sick, but even a week after I was better to start cooking all my meals again, because even though I was in the habit before I left, I got so out of the habit eating out every night that, um, I was just really, I don't know. I was resistant to it. And, but then a habit that sort of was positive while I was there is that we were walking every single day and I kept a steps app on my phone and we walked an average of five miles a day, not even thinking about it. And it was so enjoyable just being outside and exploring. And so that was a a good habit that I reformed and I've been walking again because I really liked how it made me feel and I liked tracking my steps. So, um, when thinking about, the holidays. And that's kind of like a vacation, right? Because a lot of us are traveling back home or we're going somewhere to, to spend the holidays. Or even if you're not going anywhere, it feels like you're on vacation because many of us don't have work and we have lots of parties. So you might think this is an easy time for us to break habits, but according to this article, it's also a good time for us to create new ones. So I'm going to give you an example of a habit you could work on during the holidays and The one that I've chosen is getting in movement that's not so structured. So we often get into routines of going to the gym and doing the same thing over and over again, so much so that our bodies get adjusted and we can plateau. And sometimes we're kind of forcing ourselves to these intense like hit training workouts or just really sort of masculine workouts because we feel like we have to be dripping in sweat and working out for an hour and like super sore the next day. And we really kind of overdo it and we, we put that pressure on ourselves. So I think one way that you can kind of get out of this habit in a positive way is to pull out your calendar and decide on new ways of moving your body while you're on vacation or during the holidays. So maybe you decide to go for a walk with your family if you're at home. So maybe you decide Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you guys are all going to go for a walk and you put it in your calendar and maybe you shoot around a group text and make the suggestion. And then you could even pair it because Kelly talks a lot about the pattern of the behavior. So you could even pair a behavior with it that helps you remember to do it. So maybe each morning before your movement or your walk, you make a warm beverage to help with digestion. Maybe you make a tea or lemon water, even like a latte and you pour it into a to-go mug and bring it with you on the walk. And then this ritual will be associated with the habit of moving your body. So maybe once you make the drink, your brain is conditioned to pair that action, um, to walking with it. Um, so I thought that that could be kind of cool to implement and just know that it doesn't have to be that rigid routine. And that could be a great way to sort of break that pressure that you have on yourself and maybe, um, move your body in a way that actually feels better. And maybe you'll be in a happier, more energetic space because you're with family and who knows, you might see even better results and, and come back from the holidays excited to kind of switch it up. And it doesn't have to be walking. It could be a class. It could be dancing in your living room. It could be rock climbing. It could be going on a hike, but just kind of just switching it up and breaking that, that sort of like mundane or, um, too, all too familiar habit and with something else. So that's what I would challenge you to. That's awesome. And so helpful. And also I would suggest that people listen to our solo episode on holiday hacks because there's a lot of other tips in there too. Yeah, definitely. So my pearl of wisdom is a little bit different. Um, in this episode, we do talk about the behavior, uh, you know, behind changing habits and, 
But one thing to think about is how, you know, yes, we need to make decisions for ourselves, especially when when we want to make a habit, it all comes down to the decisions we make and the choices we, we make, but what about outside pressures, you know, and things that we're bombarded with that kind of sway our decision-making. And I was already thinking about that. And then I watched last night, this film, the great hack, which is seriously such a good documentary and it's on Netflix. Um, I gotta watch it. I think it came out a few months ago, but we watched it last night and essentially it's about the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which I don't know if you guys remember this, but it, it happened last year. It was a political scandal that revealed that Cambridge Analytica, which is a data firm, had used personal data of millions of people's Facebook profiles without their consent and had used it for political advertising purposes. And so ultimately the film examines the fact that companies are using our online behaviors to target us with things, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we all know this with the ads that pop up, but they're looking at what we look at, what we buy, how we interact, and then they are pushing things at us that can sway our behavior. And in the case of Cambridge Analytica, they were identifying specific people online that they called persuadables. So these were people that they, by examining all the data on these people, identified these people that they could persuade to think or behave in a different way. And then they would blast them with all of this intense political messaging propaganda that they knew aligned with things maybe they'd liked on Facebook, things they were interested in. And this nonstop propaganda at those specific persuadables led to swaying them to vote a specific way. And this was a strategy that they used around the world, actually. They were involved in tons of political campaigns, but they were specifically working for Trump and they worked for the Brexit campaign as well. And what's interesting is that they were very like out about it. Like it wasn't a secret that they were working for the Trump campaign and different campaigns. But what, what people didn't know was that Facebook thought that Cambridge Analytica was deleting the data that they had on people. At least this is, this is what Facebook said, Mm -hmm. but instead they were keeping that data and then selling that data and, and using it to to sway people and sway people's behavior. So really what I took away from it is though, is that even though this kind of came out as a scandal, this is still happening all the time, just kind of on a lower level. The fact that all of this information about us, like what you're looking at, how you're engaging online is, is then being used to target you with ads, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can be swayed to buy things that you wouldn't ordinarily. And I think that the habit of overspending is probably one of the worst or one of the most common, you know, we, we think that we need things that we saw someone post and, you know, there's just so many external pressures for us to look a certain way, act a certain way, eat, dress, behave a certain way based on all of this imagery and ads where we're blasted with all the time. And, and then just, you know, what we're surrounded by on Instagram. And so it's just really an important reminder to be aware of that. Like every time you see an ad pop up or every time you see someone post something on Instagram that makes you think, Oh, I need to go do this or I need to go do that. Like that's not how you innately would respond. That's not what you intuitively want. You've just been swayed. Mm -hmm. So being aware of that and just really trying to put your blinders on, listen to yourself, that inner voice. What do I really want right now? When we think about exercise, like do you really need to go do a CrossFit class because you saw someone do that? Or yeah. what makes you feel really great? You know, and it's just asking yourself that question, which we do get into in this interview with Kelly. She really, I love her perspective on just helping her clients meet themselves in the middle, as she says, like 
don't try to be too extreme with things and don't allow what you think you should do to sway your behavior. Focus on what's right for you. So hopefully that wasn't too confusing, but I think it's just about looking inward, putting your blinders on and and listening to yourself. Mm -hmm. But before we get into this episode where Kelly really goes deeper on how to change habits, I wanted to define a term that Kelly uses a lot throughout the interview, but for some reason we didn't really dive deeper into, and I think it's important to uh, understand that word. So we reached out after and we asked Kelly to define uh, the word reinforcement. And she explained, and just keep this in mind because we will talk about it, that in terms of forming habits, reinforcement is what happens directly after a behavior, which which increases the odds it'll happen again. So for example, if you make the bed and you instantly feel a bit more calm, you're now more inclined to want to make your bed the following morning. So that's a positive reinforcement that helps you then change that habit and continually make the bed as a regular thing. Now, negative reinforcement is the removal of a stimulus after a behavior. Which increases its likelihood. So, a negative example would be making the bed so your boyfriend stops complaining. So, with the positive example, you're becoming more calm. So, something is added. With the negative reinforcement, you're making the bed so that your boyfriend stops complaining. So something goes away. So positive is adding something. Negative is taking something away. So just keep that in mind with reinforcement. And with that, let's get into this interview with Kelly Hogue. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. We are so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I wanted to give everyone a little backstory on how we met. Um, We actually, and you can probably like fact check me, but Mm -hmm. we met because we both went to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And I think you reached out to me through Instagram DM, which is one of the ways I've connected with so many of my close friends now. And I think we had tried to meet up in LA, but the timing didn't work out. And then you moved back to New York Mm -hmm. and then we're in New York for how long? Like a year and a half. Okay. So you went back and then you moved back to LA recently. Yeah. In January. In January. And then we finally connected. I know. It's so funny. It's like three years later. Crazy. And then I was looking back through our DMs recently and I I was remembering remembering that you were one of the first people to try out my sexy sugar cleanse. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. You liked it? (laughs) I did. Yeah. I need to do that now. (laughs) It's It's a good good system reboot. Even sometimes I like to do it for five days at a time. Yeah. But yeah, and you were like so great about posting about it and sharing your experience. I was very into it. I love sugar. So <laughs> I mean it, it makes a big difference. Yeah. But yeah, it was so great to, you know, I love your Instagram, Roots to Rise. And I feel like I learn a lot from you. And I just when Ryan and I started the podcast, I was like, Kelly would be so great to come on and share her expertise around um the behavior the behaviors and habits that we have around our health and wellness. You know, it's not just about eating a certain way or doing the right workouts. It's so much deeper than that. And I think it really comes down to innately um, what we do every single day and how we form those habits. And that's what I'm a huge proponent of. So I really want to dig into more of the science behind it and your degree and, um, and then kind of give you some scenarios to help uh, work through. Yeah. Help us work through. Let's do it. Yeah. So 
Correct me if I'm wrong as well, but you have a master's degree in applied behavioral analysis. Yeah, it's kind of a mouthful. Yeah, so we wanted to have you explain kind of what that means and what that process was like getting that degree. Yeah, so back up to, I don't know, a long time ago. I was in college and I was between semesters and I could not find a job. I was studying psychology, but I couldn't find a job and the only people that would hire me, the only job I even got offered was taking care of a boy with autism. And I was like, I have no experience with this at all, but it's all I got. So I'm going to roll with it. (laughs) And these people are trusting me, so I better do well. So what I was basically trained on with him was applied behavior analysis before Mm -hmm. I really knew. Um, And I was fascinated, like from a psychological standpoint and to see how his behaviors were changing and the profound impact it was having on him. So I followed that route. Um, and decided if I wanted to do this long-term, I need to get my master's in it. So I got my master's in yeah, applied behavior analysis. And then I realized that there was a lot of different applications for this, mm. not, just kids with autism, not just kids with autism. So I explored that a bit. Yeah. How long is that sort of a program and what exactly are you learning, I guess? Or I'm yeah. just curious, kind of like a day in the life. Yeah, it's not a common thing that people study. Uh, It's pretty isolated to treating kids with autism. Mm. Um, It was a two-year program, and it's very much about uh, reinforcement, motivation, what drives us to to act certain ways, how our behavior is really the foundation to a lot of things that that we do on a daily basis, how you can change your behavior based on reinforcement, um, negative reinforcement, what that means, um, punishment, all these different things, and how these... um, factors play a role in our in our day-to-day and a lot of the focus during that was kids with autism but a lot of it was also how I could use it in my own daily life and Mm -hmm. how I could use it like with animals it's crazy there's such a a wide scope of practice when it comes to Mm -hmm. applied behavior analysis that I felt really wasn't being explored um but it's fascinating because everything we do is a behavior yes Yes. So how did you make the transition from getting your degree to deciding to go kind of focus on nutrition or did that come first? No. So I've always been pretty interested in health. It's Mm -hmm. always been part of my life. Um, and when I was getting my, when I was getting my degree and had the job that I was in working with kids with autism, I realized that there was many different applications for it that, like I said, weren't being explored. So I got the, I finished my degree and I got the promotion that I'd been really working towards and, you know, at this great company. And I was like, I, I can't do this. Like, I want to do this in a different way. And I think it's, there's so much potential I need to explore more. Um, and knowing that I'd always been really passionate about health, I was like, I need to figure this out because I know that there's a way that this can be applied to health and healthy habits and habit change. Um, so mm-hmm. I knew if I wanted to do that, there weren't a lot of options in terms of like going to find a job where these, where these mixed. Um, and I knew I need a little bit more legitimacy around health because I just had my own experience. I'm not like, I wasn't a physical trainer. I wasn't like a nutritionist, a dietitian, anything like that. So I was like, how can I use my master's and get with another skill set, whether it be like fitness or health and bridge those two together. So that's when I decided to go to IIN, Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And when was that? Um, that was three, four years ago, three. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did going to IIN, I mean, I think what you do as a behavioral health advisor, that's mm-hmm. your title, right? Yeah. Um, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I made it up. Until I met <laughs> you. Okay, you made it up. Yeah. Okay, so 
what was the progression of that? How did you come up with that name? Was it after IIN and how did you merge the two, your degree and the nutrition? And also IIN for those that don't know is very much about, um, primary and secondary food. So primary is everything except the food physically on your plate. Cause it's so much more than just that. It's yeah. about your lifestyle. It's about mm-hmm. your stressors. It's about your relationship sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of that. So how did you figure out a way to encompass everything and then decide that you're going to be a behavioral health advisor? Yeah. So I took all of this education that I was getting through IAN which is like a whole different story, how that (laughs) affected me on a personal level, which you can get into. But I took all that information and had felt like I had this concrete foundation of like facts and research when it comes to health and how to apply these things to the day to day. And then I took everything I knew with behavior and bridged it together and said, okay, if these are the ways to be healthy, like fundamentally, how can I now execute this and actually get there? Because so often we know how to be healthy, right? We know what it means. Um, you can read the research, you can read the article, whatever, but it's like, how do I actually do that? And how do I change my behavior to get there? Mm-hmm. So that's where the bridge comes in. And I played with a few different titles and like it just started off saying health coach. And then I went to health advisor and then I was like, well, the, the point here is behavior. Yeah. So I came up with not behavioral health coach because I don't like to think of it as a coach. I like to think of it as an advisor where it's a partnership and not me telling you what to do, but more of like, let's chat this out and figure it out together. So that's how I came up with behavioral health advisor. And you mentioned the fundamentals around a healthy life or Mm -hmm. fundamental habits. What are those? Well, fundamental, the fundamentals in health and the fundamental in habits are very different. Mm. Um, When you're talking about, are you, do you mean like health and food and all that? Or do you mean behavior and habit change. I guess I was just going off of what you were saying that there are certain fundamentals. So Mm -hmm. what you meant by that, and it could be either if they are so different, it would be interesting to hear. Yeah. Because what I felt like through IIN, there were so many, so many different things I had to navigate when it comes to what healthy means. It's like, does it mean cutting out grains? Does it mean being vegan? There's all this conflicting research and I was just inundated with information. I was like, I don't even know what to do with this. Like Mm -hmm. I got in a dark place because I was like, there's too much. Like Mm -hmm. I do not know how to navigate this. And then I realized like if I'm going to help other people navigate all this information that we're consuming alone through Instagram, through podcasts. And now I'm going through a whole course every day. If I'm going to, if I'm going to help people get out of that, then I need to be able to get out of it myself. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like stepped away from it and all that I was, you know, learning and, and digesting literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. Um, and was like, okay, going back to the basics of behavior and habit and motivation and reinforcement and like sustainability, um, how do I get myself out of this? And so I figured it out Mm. and then I was able to help clients from the place of knowing, like, I know exactly what's happening here. Like Mm. it might not be the exact same situation, but I know what's happening on a behavior level. So I'm, that is really interesting to me because I can personally relate. It is extremely overwhelming and I would be in the IIN Facebook group and see, people posting, well, I'm confused because last week we were being told not to eat grains. And then this week we're being told that grains are the best food on Mm -hmm. earth. And then we're being told Mm -hmm. that, you know, beans and tomatoes can kill us. And the next day it's that we should be vegan and then we should be paleo. And I'm trying a new diet every week. Yeah, that was me. Is that kind of how you felt? And how did you, like, when you say you got to a dark place, what did that look like? And then how did you use your skills to come out of it. Yeah. I was so overwhelmed by all that information. I was like, 
watching the documentaries and the talks and reading the articles and like reading the actual research. And I was like, everything conflicts. And now I'm scrolling my Instagram and like this one's telling me this and this one's routine is this. And it was just so much. And I got really, really obsessed, like super obsessed um, with what I was eating and what I would not eat because it was it was bad and it was mm-hmm. off limits and it was like What were scary. those sort of things? Like uh, I would... If I was at a family gathering, for example, like I likely would eat beforehand or like bring something else because mm, I was like, I don't know what they it. made it with. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what oils they use. I don't know what what's in this dressing. Um, and I would be working out like multiple times a day. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. And I was gaining weight because it was just like too many things. Too stressed. Too much stress. Too much fitness. Like, it was just a lot happening. Um so I was, and I would like cry all the time. Be like, why am I gaining all this weight? And this is so stressful. And like, I can't get away from it. So I sat back, like I said, and I was like, okay, what would you tell yourself with all the information that you know? Um, and it came back to like, okay, what's going to be sustainable for me? Take away all this should, take away all these things I'm supposed to be doing. Knowing me and my routine and my lifestyle, my preferences, what's going to be the most sustainable? And I kind of set up like a, a plan for myself to start with the basics and build from there because that's how you can maintain a behavior is really starting from the foundation up. Mm-hmm. So what were those basics? So for me, it was things like um, exercising, right? I was, I, I've always been someone who works out a lot and is really into exercise, but I was like off the rails and I was working, I would like do a 45 minute like cardio in the morning, come back to the gym for like an hour and a half. And I was waking up super early and I was super tired and stressed. And then I was freaking out about what I was eating because of my workouts. So I zoomed out and I was like, okay, what's, what makes sense for me? What, how many times a week do I, can I actually get to the gym? Like, do I need to go every day? Is that even, am I going so hard in my way to now wake up at like 4am? Like what's actually making me happy? Is it going to the gym? Is it like waking, like sleeping in more? What do I value more? So it was figuring out, okay, maybe I start with like three to five times that I go to the gym in a week. So now for me, like if I go five times, I'm going to be really proud of myself. But if I go three times, I'm also going to be proud of myself because I gave myself that window of like three to five times where if I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym every day that I'm setting myself up for failure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when it came to nutrition, Mm -hmm. how did you navigate that so that you could find a way of eating that really felt good in your own skin? Yeah. So that came from, this is going to sound so corny and I hate saying it, but it it really is what it is, came down to listening to my own intuition and finding out what that meant for me. And it's such a buzzword, intuition. And it seems like this vague, like mystical thing that we can access if we have the right powers. Mm -hmm. Um, And it felt like that for me. But I realized that it doesn't have to be anything crazy. And I don't want to go like on a silent meditation retreat to figure (laughs) this out. It can just be like taking a breath when I eat. So I dedicated, again, like I started with the basics. I dedicated one meal a day. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take a breath before my meal. I'm going to sit down and eat it. I'm going to be like, you know, express gratitude towards it. And I'm going to chew it. So I would in the past just like be in a rush trying to get in the food I was supposed to be getting in. I would stand and eat and it was just like all around bad for my mental health, for my digestion, everything. So I was like, okay, let me just see if I can for one meal maintain this where every single day like I'm able to sit down for dinner or breakfast or whatever it was and then build on from there where it's not now to the point it's not where I consciously I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to be, you know gracious, yada, yada. It's like, this just built in. Like I just kind of allow my meal time to be a super present experience where I'm, I'm breathing normally, I'm chewing and it's fine. It's sustainable. 
-hmm. but you had to do that until it became a habit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to dig into habits and the science around how habits are formed. Yeah. If you're able to, I know that's a broad question, (laughs) um, but kind of explain, I guess, for those habits that we consider bad habits that we Mm -hmm. can't break. What is the science behind that? Why are we, why is it so challenging? Yeah. So a lot of, of bad habits are reinforcing within themselves. So for example, if you take like having dessert every night and you're having like a bowl of ice cream every night and you consider that a bad habit, which is a common thing, right? You're like, I'm not supposed to have ice cream every night. Um, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, if you want to, if, if you're wondering why that's a bad habit that you can't break, there's a lot of factors there with like the sugar in general and that taking over your brain, which I'm sure you can speak to. And then also the reinforcing feeling that might come with it. So like the taste of it, the texture of it, it might be something that you do like with your roommate or with your boyfriend or whoever, and there's a social aspect to it. So all these things are making it way easier and feels way better to engage with it than to not. So, um, it's also about meeting yourself where you're at in terms of self-respect. So I always say it's not about self-control. Like you're not eating the ice cream because you don't have Mm self-control. It's likely because your self-worth is a little bit off and you're kind of figuring out like, what do I actually want? What actually feels good for me? And sometimes when you step back and you're like, yeah, I feel really great eating ice cream every night. And I only felt bad about it because I was told that I should. Mm -hmm. And it's something that you're like, I I don't care. This is my thing. This is what I really enjoy. And I'm going to keep doing it. So finding out that too, what actually, you know, works for you and makes you happy and what are the things that are, are really not feeling good. And I want to go a little bit deeper because when we hear the words like mindfulness and mm-hmm. intuition, mm-hmm. and like you were saying, it can be a little bit of a buzzword. Um, and it can sound very far off for people like, oh, okay, I just need to be mindful. I need to check in and figure out what works for me. How do you tap into that intuition? How do you make it a habit so that you are checking in with yourself and asking yourself the question of like, okay, why, why am I wanting this ice cream? Like, why am I choosing this specific dessert? That doesn't come naturally to most people. So how can you make that a ritual? Yeah. Like, do you have any tools for that? Yeah. So I think it's a lot easier to start off small than say like, this is my new thing that I'm going to do every day all the time. So I usually urge my clients to say like, what meal makes the most sense for you? Um, to take this moment of, of like tuning in. So maybe some people are really rushed in the morning for breakfast. Maybe they're at work for lunch and then at dinner, they have a little bit more time. It could be the opposite, whatever, but just, you know, tune in with yourself and decide what's going to make the most sense for you so that you are setting yourself up for success for that first step. So maybe it's dinner and maybe you even, I don't care if you like order in, if you make it, whatever, but taking the time, like, like I did to sit and take a take a breath and just center yourself and be present in that moment. And it sounds so simple and so small, but it's so huge because so often we're on autopilot where we're just eating and we're shoveling food and we're not thinking about it. And we're already thinking about the next thing. Um, so if you're able to tune in and be present with this meal, you're then able to understand how it tastes. Like, are you even enjoying it? Or is it just routine? Is that just a habit now? You just like eat ice cream after dinner because that's what you do. Mm -hmm. Um, so the taste, you're understanding also how it might be affecting your body um, in terms of like physically digestion. Are you are you noticing now what's happening after? Um, and there's all these ways that you're now being the, the added level of presence is now allowing you to tune in and find out, okay, how how am I feeling about this act that I'm engaging in? 
And then if, if it's dinner, for example, it's likely going to be reinforcing on its own, like tuning in with yourself and with your food, that's reinforcing. Like it really is. Um, so then you're able to say like, okay, let me try this for lunch now and see if it's going to have the same effects. And then it kind of trickles down and maybe trickles into breakfast, maybe not. But if you're able to say like, wow, I'm, I'm noticing the effects of this, then you can, you know, apply that to different things in your life too and different things in your day. Do you have any journal techniques or habit tracking tools that you have your clients use? Nope. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I've, so I think that there's no, there's obviously no one size fits all. There's no like general thing. Mm-hmm. I myself, am not a journaler. I'm not someone who writes things down. It freaks me out. Cause I'm like, oh, what if someone reads it? Um, I don't write anything down, honestly. I'll write like notes on my phone. I tried it because again, I like saw on Instagram that I should journal or like have write down what I'm grateful for. Um, that doesn't work for me. So I always give clients options. Like, you know, you can have this, you know, you can use writing, you can use whatever, like just figure out your platform. And that's something that we can do together and see what feels the best for you. And people always ask like, for a morning routine or an evening routine, like, should I journal or should I like do yoga or should I have like hot water and lemon? Like, Do whatever feels good. Like, let's figure it out together. But it's not about what feels good for anyone else. It's so you're, you're focusing your work with your clients is focusing on taking that moment to reflect and to notice how that food or that moment is impacting you. It's all about reflection, it seems. Yeah, that's part of it. That's in terms of of being present with your food and with your, with mealtime, that's definitely, it's a small piece of the puzzle, but it is something that have, that is a recurring theme because it's so common. Mm-hmm. Just, I think how our society is, it's so fast paced. Yeah. Um, and there's so many like quick options. Like literally I remember I was in Manhattan walking to like a yoga class or something, eating my breakfast, like on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. I was like, this cannot be good. Like <laughs> mentally, physically, this is probably not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't even realize like how often it's happening and how often we're just consuming. Yeah. Dust talks a lot about mindful meals. Yeah. And I try to keep that in mind when I'm eating. Like it's so common to have a podcast on the TV on and you're, and you're just, yeah. the meal is over and you haven't even, you're still hungry cause you're not really enjoying it or considering how you feel throughout that. So yeah. And it takes like 20 minutes for your body to fully digest. So if you're not giving it that time, you're not going to be satisfied. Yeah. So when it comes to your clients, I'm really curious, how do clients find you? And more so than that, what is their reasoning for wanting to work with you? Is it generally that they want to lose weight, that they, that they know that they have certain habits that they want to change? Is it generally weight and health focused or is it more than that? And then part two of the question is what would a day in the life look like working with you? Yeah. So a lot of the time, uh, clients are referred to me from other clients who may have found me either from a podcast or from, um, social media or whatever it is. But a lot of the time it is from a referral. Um, I think that what I work on with clients is something really common, but it's also something that we're not always willing to say that we need help with, or like even know that this is a thing that you can get help for. So when other people see my clients and how they're going through the process, they're like, Oh, Oh, that's a thing. That's cool. Um, so that's usually how, and then, um, how 
What was the second word? What would a day in the life of being your client look like? Okay, so how it starts out is usually that we'll do some kind of goal setting and figuring out what your goals actually are. Because a lot of the time, oh, why clients come to me? Mm -hmm. So this is perfectly tied in. Um, Clients often come to me because they are struggling with weight of some sort or they're feeling like food is out of their control. So I never have ever promoted myself as like a weight loss specialist or someone who's going to help you lose weight ever. Um, but a lot of the time when you're feeling out of control with food, that's results in weight increase. Um, so I, I definitely help clients, um, feel like they're more in control, like what we talked about, but also understanding it from the point of view of like your behaviors are in your control. Um, so how I do that and how we go about that is clients will come to me with their, with their goals. Right. And maybe it's like, I want to be in better shape. I want to feel in control of my eating. Those are so vague. Like most people also want that, but how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that based on your schedule, based on your lifestyle? Like, do you have kids? Do you have a full-time job? What's, what's happening? Um, so we narrow it down to something that's really concrete and quantifiable. Um, so like we said before, is it, if you're saying I want to, I want to go to the gym where I want to, you know, have fitness in my life. What does that mean for you? Like, where are you right now? What's your baseline? So maybe some people are like, oh, I I work out five days a week now, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Or maybe people are like, I don't even have a gym membership. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) So uh, meeting them where they're at and finding that happy medium where they're going to set themselves up for success, right? And it's going to be reinforcing because if you're going to fail, it's not going to be reinforcing and you're going to probably give up. Um, So that's why I think having a range is really key. So like, if you wanted to be at the gym more often or, you know, work out more often, um, I would say, you know, if right now you, you don't even belong to a gym, I would say first things first over the next week, find a gym, like find some options, you know, scope it out in your neighborhood, whatever is what matters to you like that they have a pool or is it that it's in walking distance, find out, you know, your values there. And then once you come back the following week and you're like, okay, I found my gym. Now we start like, okay, let's go you know, one to two times, two to three times, whatever we decide on. So like I said, that way for going three times, you're proud of yourself. But if you, you know, only went once, maybe you're also proud of yourself. Mm-hmm. So finding it to be the, you know, the small wins that we can build upon. So it's figuring out your goal, getting a lot of clarity on that, finding out what obstacles might've been in the past that haven't, you know, prevented you from getting this goal. Maybe your gym is too far, or maybe it's, you know, a place that you don't feel comfortable in. Um, and then also figuring out the emotions that are, atti- that are tied to this goal and the reason. So why does this even matter to you? Why do you want to go to the gym? Is it because you feel like you should and you saw it on you know, Instagram? Or is it because you like read a research article? Or is it because your friend's doing it and you saw them lose a bunch of weight? Or is it because you genuinely are interested and you know, want the physical benefits that you've heard of? There's not necessarily a right or wrong, but it's identifying that why. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each time it's just building on there, building on the, the foundation that we established in that initial lengthy call and then ma- allowing it to be maintained so it could be sustainable. Cause I always say like, I want to work with my clients for the shortest amount of time possible. Mm-hmm. I'll always recommend the shortest time because if it's not sustained, it's my job is not working. Like it's not, the relationship is not working. I want us to meet for the shortest amount of time so that you're able to do it on your own and it's effortless. Mm-hmm. So you're keeping them accountable accountable 
in the beginning and then you're teaching them t- the tools to go on and, and exactly. continue those fly habits. Away. Fly away. So I've often heard that it can take 21 days or something like that to form a new habit. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to be true? Do you have any measurement from seeing your clients about how long it does take? I think it totally depends. It totally depends on what's happening because if you are starting from scratch on something brand new, it's going to take a while to get into the routine and even figure out what the routine is, right? And then if there are things that come up, like life stuff, so... um, Unexpected. Yeah, unexpected things. Or if you're like, yeah, I think this is, you know, I'm really getting in the groove, but now something comes and interrupts it, then is that sustainable? Like after the 21 days, if now something has happened that mixes up the flow, are you still able to get back, you know, back on track Mm -hmm. or is it now effed? Mm -hmm. I'm curious with your clients, if you see sort of themes within their lives, like are there often common challenges people are dealing with that you often see repeated? Yeah. A lot of the time, like I said, a lot of the time it's, uh, feeling out of control Yeah, Mm -hmm. when it comes to just health. And we're talking a lot about food and, and exercise, but as Jess said earlier, like it's sleep, it's in, you know stress, it's your job, it's your relationship, all these things play a factor. And usually, when I have that initial call, clients will break it down, like what's happening, and this is how it just happens organically. But like, what's happening with food? What's happening with your relationship? What's happening with your job? Like mm-hmm. how all these things play a part. Because if your job is a big factor in your life, like Lee is, then that's also going to affect the way you're eating. It's also going to affect your exercise. It's going to affect your sleep. All these things are very intertwined. Mm-hmm. Do you have a specific way of eating that you recommend for your clients? Like, do you have, you know, like you tend to be more whole 30 or more high fat, low carb, or is it really a case? Is it really a case by case basis? It's super case by case. I, I think I've recommended a client do whole 30, maybe one time. Um, but I don't think other than that, I've ever recommended a, a certain diet. Um, a lot of time clients will come to me and they're like, I've done Whole30 like five times. I'm like, well, then let's never do that again. Then you're not going to do that with me. <laughs> yeah. um, or they're like, you know, I've tried intermittent fasting and I've tried keto. And a lot of the time I'll just say, okay, well, that's that's valuable. What, what did you learn from that? What worked? Mm-hmm. What didn't work? And let's take it from there. But I definitely don't recommend certain diets. And I think as the person that I am, like, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to address the behavior. I'm not here to address anything like on a nutritional level. So do you find that sometimes clients are resistant to that when they come to work with you and maybe they want to lose weight and do you find that they're ever looking for a quicker fix and then they're like, wait, we have to actually change habits and that takes time and I'm not going to be giving a food plan or a workout plan. Like I actually have to put the work in. Yeah. I think when clients come to me and we have, you know, I, I offer like an initial get to know each other call and I really lay the groundwork for that and say like, this is not about losing weight and it's not about, you know me telling you to go to the gym. It's really not. It's about figuring out what's going to work for you on a sustainable level. And whatever comes from that is, is a byproduct as long as you feel good. But oddly enough, every single client that I've worked with has lost weight. Mm, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, whether it be like 50 pounds or 15 pounds, whatever, like every single person has lost weight, which I'm actually just realizing right now. <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. Because you likely cannot say that for... Um, I don't want to like say all coaches, but like a, a diet coach mm-hmm. or a specific diet, 
um, you know, those people might lose weight initially, but are they going to sustain it? And it sounds like the weight that your clients are losing, you're probably checking in with them three, six months later and they've maintained that weight because they've been able to change their lifestyle and their habits. Yeah. And that's what it all comes down to. Mm -hmm. So my whole philosophy is finding out the function of a behavior. So the function of behavior is why a behavior is happening. So for example, like like we spoke about the ice cream thing after dinner, why is this a behavior that you're engaging in? Is it because it's social? Is it because it tastes good? Is it because you didn't get enough protein today and you're, did you not eat enough dinner? Um, all these factors, once we can figure that out, then that gives us the answers about how to change it and then how to maintain it. Mm-hmm. So we have some like real life scenarios that we wanted to kind of have you walk us through. Let's hear it. Um, did you want to start with yours, Ray? I felt like that was a good one. Well, I, you know, it's funny. You were mentioning a lot of the buzzwords you hear in the health wellness world. And I often just, you know, you hear a lot about morning routines and mm-hmm. I feel like everyone's a morning person and I'm just not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a night owl and I do struggle to get up earlier. I'm easing into kind of accepting that I am just, my hours are shifted different than other people. And I do work for myself so I can get up a little bit later. But that said, I still would like to get up earlier because I do want more time in the morning before I start working. But it's just, I'm just waking up at the same time every day. It's like 8.30, sometimes Mm -hmm. 9. And then I start working by 9.30. But like, what would be some advice um, for someone like me who is a night owl and I'm okay being that way and I can have my own hours, but I do want to really work on getting up just a little bit earlier. Yeah. Okay. So tell me more about, about why waking up earlier is meaningful for you. Because I just have so much to do in the day that I'm not allowing myself enough time to like, you know, I would like to fit in some meditation in the morning. I'd like to fit in some more just like calm time before mm-hmm. I immediately jump into work because I also work later into the evening. So I feel like getting up earlier would give me more hours in my day. Um, so if you got up earlier, would you still be staying up the same time? I, I think it would probably make me tired, more tired. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing is I have you know, I have it under control right now, but I have sleep issues too. So I feel like getting up earlier would help me fall asleep earlier. Okay. So it sounds like if you shifted it and made it, made it so that you're waking up earlier or you're keeping it how it is, you have the same hours. It would be the same amount of time that you're awake probably. Mm -hmm. So what, if you want to, if the driving factor here is you want to like slower start to your day, or you want to have some time for meditation, what would that look like for you ideally? I think just waking up, having like really making sure I'm stretching using the foam roller in the morning for like 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and then maybe 15 minutes to meditation Mm -hmm. and sitting maybe another 10 sitting with my hot water or my coffee and just being reflective for a minute, Mm -hmm. you know? So maybe it's like 30 to 40 minutes of just stretching, meditation, sitting and thinking. Have you done this before? Yeah, I do abbreviated versions, you know, it's just like, I, and then I'm spending most of the day in my pajamas because I'm just like, I get up, I give myself a minute to sit with my coffee or my hot water and, um, but I'm not really making time. I haven't figured out how to make time for meditation. I've never really done that. And I do think it would be helpful for just, you know running the business, keeping my head on straight. So Mm -hmm. more time for that. Um, yeah. And maybe it is just coming to terms with like, 
it's a guilt thing that I'm not getting up earlier that I think I should. Yeah. I think there's probably a bit of shit here. Like most people run on a schedule where they're waking up early and Mm -hmm. you know, a should would be like, I should probably roll my body out in the morning and get Mm -hmm. some kind of movement in. I should meditate. I've been, you know, read the research. It's a good thing to do. So I, I, I hear you. Um, realistically, well, in the past, when you've done this and you've tried to wake up earlier, what's prohibiting you? I think my fiance kind of wakes up. It's hard for me to get up before him, I guess. Gotcha. So he stays, he sleeps the same as yeah. you. Okay. Well, that's a huge factor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, um, if I would say to start, if you really want to do this and make this something that's, if, if the driving factor, like we said for you here is, is having a little bit of like peace and, and you time before you start your day. Yeah. I think mean, that's, that is a big thing. I think that's mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're noticing like it's too like, frantic once you yeah. start, I have that same problem. <laughs> um, so why don't you start with like five minutes of meditation and we can yeah. just those five minutes earlier Yeah, and starting there. It is a simple way to think of it because I'm always thinking it needs to be a half hour yeah. earlier or an hour earlier to allow for all of this time. But you're right. It could just be five minutes earlier. Yeah. And, and going go from, slow yeah. to be earlier and earlier. And going from zero to 30 minutes of meditation yeah. is like. Well, no, I for sure can't do that. <laughs> for sure can't do that. But I would, I would like to start like five to 15 or just the idea was more like, I'd love a half hour more of sitting in calm before my day starts. If that goes to meditation or if it goes to just, you know, being reflective or journaling or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. And it's just like how people that never exercise rush into, I have to work out five days a week instead mm-hmm. of like just just have one day yeah. and then you expand every week. And so, yeah, I didn't really think of it that way, but that's true. Yeah, and even if, even if you got your fiance on board too, I mean, you don't have yeah. to, but that's always a helpful thing. No, he, 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 we both keep talking about how we're going to make time for meditation. That's so. not even easier. Yeah. You guys can do it together. We set the yeah. alarm. Even if you don't do it together, literally you can still set the same alarm and, and kind of hold each other accountable. You literally have a built in accountability partner in that way, yeah. which makes it true. Oh, a lot easier. Very so yeah, true. I would say just see if you could start with five minutes okay, or three, like just whatever feels best for you. And then noticing yeah. how that feels yeah. and how that impacts. And if you are going slower and, you know, maybe you try it a few days for the week and at the end of the week you reflect and you're like, okay, did that actually work? Or is, yeah. am I just shooting? Or, you know, did nothing come from that? Or does it feel really good? And maybe I want to add two more minutes next week. Yeah, I love this take it slow approach because then mm-hmm. you just feel I'm doing something, yeah. you know, I'm working towards this goal, even if it's three minutes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What I do is I I would try to get myself to meditate in the morning like so bad. I wanted it so bad. <laughs> I knew the benefits, like the research is definitely yeah. there, Yeah. but it's a matter of doing it. Right. And I I tried, I tried all these different ways and just was not sustainable for me and I, and I couldn't do it. And I ended up meeting myself in the middle and this has been really, really sustainable and really grounding for me is playing a meditation as I'm getting ready in the morning. So it's not two separate acts of me like doing the meditation and sitting down it's, and then getting ready, but it's merged together. And while I'm getting ready, I'm taking the breaths. I'm doing it a little bit more mindfully and intentionally. I'm listening to like really calm voices and, and, um, music cause I'll do a guided meditation and that's just been helpful and that's just like me meeting myself where I need Mm -hmm. to be and not forcing something that's not going to happen I love that so much because we hear it's like you have to have this perfect meditation practice that has to be sitting and 
just being quiet and doing it the right way. But when you open your mind up to there is no just right way Mm -hmm. that you can create your own version of meditation. If it's the mindful meal that just talks about where your meditation is just sitting in and, you know, feeling all of the senses, um, or your own version of meditation where you can be moving and productive at the same time, which makes me feel better because I always sometimes feel like I'm not doing it right, quite right, you know, but I'm more of the type of person that likes to do, you know, kill two birds with one stone. So that sounds nice to me. Yeah, I agree. I think the simplicity of it, it sounds so basic and easy, but that truly is when you think about anything, like when you watch a documentary or you listen to a podcast, a lot of times, much of it goes over your head, Mm -hmm. but you take away a golden nugget or you take something away. You know, you see the quotes on Instagram that go viral. It's like, those are very simple, basic messages and reminders, but those really are the things that stick because they're easier and they're more approachable and then you can build on that. Right. So I, I mean, even listening to you coach Rye, that's something that, you know, I've kind of written off meditation. Like I don't like it. Mm -hmm. I, it doesn't resonate with me, but maybe it is really just, okay, let me commit to five minutes and then reflect at the end of the week. If I really don't notice a difference, Mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, I, I put in my time and right now it's, it's not going to work for me. But yeah. then at least you kind of did your research. But yeah. I feel like you have your own version of meditation with For how sure. you take time with sitting outside. And so mm. it's like, it's again, you're considering that you don't, you're not into meditation. I would think of you as someone who is. Yeah. And I mean, I... In your own way. Right. In my own way, I've come to terms with the fact that sitting cross-legged and listening to an app maybe doesn't resonate with yeah. me at this point in my life, but taking five minutes to 20 minutes to sometimes a half hour to go outside every day and just eat my lunch in the sun and not have my phone Mm -hmm. and just slowly eat and feel the sun on my face and look at the palm trees and potentially like catch up with my husband. That to me is meditative. Yeah. And I can't even tell you how many clients have said exactly that too. Like Mm -hmm. without even realizing a goal of of theirs ends up being spending more time just by themselves in nature or in the sun or getting Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. and that becomes the the grounding thing. Mm. Yeah. So for a client of yours who, because I'm thinking of some of the struggles my clients have, Mm -hmm. um, somebody who, you know, you hear a lot about like, okay, if you want to make healthy lifestyle changes, you need a meal prep Mm -hmm. and like you need to plan everything out. But what about for the person who maybe doesn't feel like they have time to meal prep every night they're cooking for their family Mm -hmm. or they're really busy. Maybe they live in New York city and it's really fast paced. Um, what would you say? Like, what's a way that somebody could get into the habit of eating meals that better service their goals and they make them feel good without feeling like they have to put all of that time into prepping and planning and and same goes for like taking your supplements. Cause I think that that's a habit that can go out the window as well because it feels overwhelming. Yeah, I know there seems to be this thing where it's like, I I'm failing if I'm not cooking my meals or I'm not bringing my own lunch or whatever it is. Cause it's health being part of being on this health train is, is meal prep. It's they go hand in hand for some reason, mm-hmm. but I always ask clients, I'm like, why, like, why does that matter? Does it actually matter to you? Why can't you just like get something healthy for lunch from, you know, a salad place or a sandwich place or whatever? Um, so what I'll normally do is find out that why and why it matters. And sometimes we'll be like, well, you know, I want to help my kids with these habits or I want to, um, you know, be more aware of what I'm consuming or whatever it is, but I hate cooking. Like you really hate it. So there's always an option. Like 
I would give them a little bit more background and and education if need be about like what it means to have a a healthy meal. And it doesn't mean having a a salad with like, you know, grilled chicken on it. That sounds heinous like to me. (laughs) Like I'm anti-salad, but I just think it's about knowing like what's going to keep you full. What's going to give you, um, like the energy to get through your day. What's going to feel really good inside, outside, and then being able to make those, those decisions for yourself, whether it be cooking at home, whether it be going to the groceries. Some people don't, I had a client who didn't even know how to turn on his oven and he was like, I really want to cook. And I was like, no, you don't. (laughs) So I got him to do Sakara. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's Mm -hmm. a meal delivery Mm -hmm. Such a huge fan of meal delivery. Yeah. So that's another one too, where you don't even think about it. And if you have the means to do it and that's like a priority for you, because a lot of the time guilt comes with it too. I'm like, well, that's, you know, money and it's expensive and I feel guilty. Like bringing my Saqqara to to work, I've heard clients say, um, because then people say something and I'm like, well, what matters to you most? Like what Mm. really matters? Maybe that it gives you that opportunity to like have a conversation with a coworker and explain like what's happening. Maybe, you know, you guys, you offer this to her and she's really interested. Who knows? Um, but if, if eating healthy matters more to you, whatever that means to you, matters more to you than, than cooking the food, then just find a way that's going to work for you to make it sustainable because you can, you can try to cook and sure, but I'll never force that. Like I'll never say to a client, you have to cook, you have to like be able to navigate the grocery store or you should only eat out. There's no, there's really no rules. Which is really freeing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that as a theme here is just taking out the rules. We all feel like we have to fit into a box or do things a quote unquote right way. Mm -hmm. And it just, we are all so uniquely different. So how does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Totally. It can be confusing too. I feel like when you are in a a client or even just somebody trying to make habit changes and it's like, I know I should be doing it this way, but something in me just can't get there. Mm -hmm. The meditation thing. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you can't. And sometimes you just need to be given permission by somebody else that you don't have to do it that way. Mm -hmm. And I still need that even as a coach for somebody to say, why are you doing it that way? You don't have to be. There's a lot of other things that could work for you instead. Um, so I'm curious if you have any habits that you've either broken or honed in on recently that you're proud of yourself for. Oh, well, what you were just saying brought me to think about, about restriction because I was a big, like I said earlier, I was really into restricting myself. Um, in a lot of different ways when it came to food. And I think that oftentimes when we think about all the things that we shouldn't do, right? Like I shouldn't have dessert, or like I'm eating too much of this, too many cookies or, you know, whatever. Um, if you go back and you say like, okay, why, why is this happening? And also why is it bad? Um, then you're able to find out a little bit more, like have the tools to then navigate that situation. But it's so easy to get caught up in like what's right and what's wrong, mm-hmm. you know, what we've deemed right and wrong. Um, and I don't think it's even something that a lot of the time we, we grow up knowing about, like we don't have the tools to figure out the things that we're supposed to be doing or not. We're just told like, follow this, you know, follow this track. You're supposed to eat breakfast at this time and then this for lunch. And then this Mm -hmm. is what, you know, being healthy means it's a salad. Um, so when you're able to step back and say like, okay, maybe, like I said, maybe having ice cream after dinner is like the best thing and I really enjoy it and I want to keep doing it. Um, and that was something that I navigated by myself is, is like the dessert thing. Cause mm-hmm. you were saying earlier, like I have the biggest sweet tooth. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to <laughs> figure that out. Um, knowing that I'm not going to give up sugar. Like I'm just not, it's, 
I would love to in an ideal world. Yeah, I would cut out sugar, but like I love sweets. I love it brings baked you goods. joy. Brings me joy. So for me, restricting myself all the way on the opposite end is just going to be like a bow and arrow. I'm going to sh- launch myself in the other direction where I'm going to end up binging it. So, um, that's a tricky situation too. It's like when you restrict, 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 which I did, um, from sweets, from nut butter is one that comes up a mm-hmm. lot. You likely are just going to end up binging it. Mm-hmm. So if it's finding the balance and maybe it means like I have dessert every single night, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding out how to do that in a way that's going to make you feel good, not make you feel guilty. Maybe it's like substituting some ingredients. Maybe it's just like being okay with certain decisions. Um, it takes time. It's definitely not, you know, like I said, we're not grown. We don't grow up with these tools. We kind of have to learn them, which is what I'm here for. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are ways to find that balance. Yeah. I'm curious about relationship specific habits. Do you, you know, people are often in toxic relationships where mm-hmm. they keep going back to an abusive or just a non-supportive partner or people that keep making plans with people that don't build them up. You know, they can't say no to somebody. Do you actually coach people on how to communicate, uh, in these tricky relationship situations or is it, do you stay out of that and more focus on what they need to get out of it and why they are going back to this pattern of behavior. Yeah. So it goes back often to self-worth and that's something that I'll talk with clients a lot about, um, because your self-worth comes out in, in a lot of different ways, certainly through food, through relationships. I definitely not a relationship expert. I mean, I've probably been enough where I could be, but in terms of like coaching other people through it, that's not my wheelhouse and it yeah. doesn't come up often with okay. clients because that's not how I market myself. Mm-hmm. Um, But from a behavioral standpoint and from a self-worth standpoint, I've definitely like had conversations. Um, Normally it's about friendships and, you know, it, it really comes back to like, where do you stand with yourself in this? Because knowing you can't change other people, um, and this is not behavior based obviously, but where do you stand with yourself and like what you deserve in a situation is what I always go back to. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And how about when it comes to self-care because I think that that's something that gets put on the back burner for a lot of go-getters and a lot of women, especially who take care of everybody else, whether it's their family or the people that they work with. Um, I think a lot of women who, and men who seek coaching, they tend to be caregivers and fixers. So that can be a habit, right? Of being that caregiver, that constant person who's putting forth your energy, always, always giving and, and not pr- giving space for yourself to have that time. So for somebody like that, how would you help them to create a relationship with self-care that maybe doesn't look like a monthly massage mm-hmm. or, you know, I think that there's a lot of buzzwords around self-care yeah. too. Like it's expensive. Right. And I actually have seen a post that you wrote on Instagram about how self-care doesn't have to be expensive. Mm-hmm. And I remember you gave some really helpful tips and tricks, which I even saved that post because it was really powerful. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think the post I posted, it was like a $13 matcha. And I was like, yeah, this could be considered self-care. But I also went to bed at like 7 o'clock last night and woke up at 8, and that's also self-care. Mm. <laughs> and also, like, going on a hike maybe by myself is self-care. That's free. Just knowing, like, what makes you feel good. Um, and maybe it is an expensive ass massage. Like I'll go to definitely go to the now and get a full on massage like right. all the time because it feels good. Yeah. Um, and then just letting the guilt go. Like I was talking about, um, when the clients who felt guilty about having their, um, meal 
thing, Sakara at work. Um, cause they felt guilty and like they're being flashy about their money and like, you know, it was a lot. Um, so just noticing like if something is important to you, own it, like just know that it's everything. Everyone has a different thing. So like if it's massages for me, like that's my thing. And I don't have to justify that, you know, first of all, mm-hmm. it's, it's frankly no one's business. Second of all, it's no one's business cause it's my own money. Mm-hmm. Um, and third of all, it's what makes me feel good. And if you have people around you who support you and are under, you know, understanding of that, which are the people that you should have around you, then they'll know like what, what's making you feel good is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so in terms of self-care, which I really can't relate to having a problem with this, I think I like indulge too much in (laughs) (laughs) self-care. Um, I think it's just a matter of like knowing your worth and knowing that there shouldn't be guilt, um, around things that are making you feel good. Mm -hmm. That's my philosophy on it anyway. Yeah, if if someone's struggling with it though and they are just really having a hard time making space for it, are yeah. there specific recommendations that you would give to somebody to kind of help them start to bring more of it into their life? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the time it it manifests in like a morning routine. And I think that that's the start to being able to set your yourself up for tuning in and grounding in and you know, acknowledging yourself and your being. Um, so clients will ask me like, what's my, what's a good morning routine? They always want to have a morning routine. I'm like, you tell me like, what's going to feel the best for you. So again, maybe we start with like a five minute meditation. A lot of the time that's something that clients want to incorporate is meditation. Um, so it's starting where they're at and allowing them to have like the physical space to do that. So, you know, the time, We'll figure out how much time it's going to take. Like, what is the actual setup of the space going to look like? Because if you can plan this all out, then it's a little bit easier to then navigate. If you're like, I have this all mapped out. Like, I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to spend this much time navigating, this much time meditating. I'm going to use this app, um, and I'm going to do it in this part of my house. Like, you, there's you, you're going to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a matter of me having, you know, holding the space for them to have that conversation because they've never thought about it before or like given the time. Mm-hmm. with themselves to figure it out. And it's like, okay, no, let's, let's work it out. Like maybe it's easier for you to figure out the guided meditation that you want the night before. Then you wake up and that's, you know, taken out. You're not wasting 12 minutes that you could have been meditating, looking for the right guided meditation. So it's figuring out like how to set it up. And then just, you know, the executing is the easy part. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. super helpful. So we want to move into our quick fire questions, starting with how you would describe your personal mission. My personal mission is that there's no one size fits all, that there are so many different ways to navigate your own health journey. Um, and there's no rules. Yeah, that's great. Amen. What's your favorite health trend or product right now? Oh, health trend or product. Honestly, massages. Like I don't... Mm. I guess it's a product of some sort. It's something that I'm, it's a service. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm like all about it. It feels so good. Me too. <laughs> As a side question to that, you, you are very fit and I'm curious what kind of exercise you do. And I know like my fiance is a, um, uh, athlete, soccer player, and he always is getting massages cause he's yeah. <laughs> having a lot of pain. So I'm curious if you, if you're doing hard workouts too, that, or yeah, it, that's a yeah. big part of it. I yeah. strength train, uh, like five to six days a week. Okay. So getting massages does feel extra it's good. It's helpful. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, uh, what would be one productivity hack that you would give? Oh, I think setting yourself up with a time frame. So, mm-hmm. um, knowing that you're dedicating a certain amount of time to something can be really helpful. And that way 
um, when the timer goes off, you either know you're done to step away from it. Or if you're watching, you know, like, okay, I have this much time left. It can get a little tricky and a little bit sticky. Um, but yeah, I think having like a dedicated time to do something instead of just like, mm, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Very That's, true. I love time blocking. Yeah. It's so helpful. So if you could recommend an Instagram account or a podcast, a resource, a book that you think everybody should um, read or follow, what would it be? Ooh. Hmm. Podcast or Instagram book. I'm trying to think. Um, or even an inspirational person, you yeah. know, speaker. There's a lot of people that... See, this question is tricky for me because I... I feel like there's so much noise mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that that's part of the problem is like all the podcasts and all the posts and all the books and all this, mm-hmm. these, these things that go against each other. And in my history of doing this, I've, I've taken a little bit here, a little bit there and kind of made it my own based on the behavior. Um, so I don't know. I don't have like a go-to person that I really respect. I really respect Kelly Levac. She's a, a reason, part of the reason that I got into this. Mm-hmm. I think she has like a really, um, grounded scientific background. So I like her a yeah. lot. Um, yeah, That's she's, a good rooted, one. she's rooted in science, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm sure people would gain so much value from following you. So how can they find you? Yeah. Where, what's your Instagram? And my Instagram is root to rise health. It's root to rise. I love that oh. name. Thanks. Where did that come from? So I'm a big yoga person and it's something that you hear often in yoga is rooting to rise up. And I came up with that and I was going back and forth and I realized that to really rise and, you know, rise into your highest self and feel your best, it takes some rooting and it takes some digging into what's happening and what's going on underneath and, and with your foundation and then rising up from that point. Oh, mm-hmm. that's perfect. Yeah. It's great too. Cause it makes me think it's about getting to the root too, yeah, which exactly. is something that you yeah, it aligns with exactly. yeah. what you do. Yeah. yeah. So on a last note, is there anything you're excited about or you want to share in your business or in your life right now? Oh, there's so many things that I'm excited about. I'm really excited about, um, <laughs> I've been really into baking lately mm. and I suck at it. I'm so bad at it because I never follow the recipe ever because I just don't like following rules. Yeah. Didn't you pick that up yet? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited because I'm really going to start like following these baking rules because I'm kind of sick of wasting all the ingredients and I also want to make delicious things and I want my thing to be like, I come bearing baked goods that mm. don't suck. Ooh. And I would have brought some here today, but I made banana bread last night and it sucked. So, <laughs> well, you made really good protein balls. Okay. At, we oh, all yeah. did a succulent making party and okay, those, oh, those came really from good. a bag. Oh, really? <laughs> you didn't make those? It was pre-made. Okay. Okay. I, I rolled them. Okay. That <laughs> counts. Oh, I there's actually a really good brand. I don't know if it's the same one. What? I can't remember what it's called, but it gives you the mix for yeah, the balls. That's what it was. That's okay. I felt <laughs> I like I made that. them myself because yeah. I don't cook or bake and I was real proud of myself. Hey, you kinda made it. Yeah. yeah. You All mix right. it with Thanks, what? Guys. Like coconut oil or yeah. something? Yeah. 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 I was telling Josh and everyone, I was like, Kelly made these really great protein yeah, balls exactly. and I, I snuck a bunch of them at the end and then I was like eating them as snacks throughout the week. Yeah, I mean I got stuck in like an hour and a half of traffic and I was eating them too. They were delicious, but I cannot take all the credit. <laughs> yeah. Part of that. Well, we loved it. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your knowledge with us and being here today. We learned a lot and we'll have to continue these conversations. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you. We hope this conversation with Kelly has you motivated to start forming new habits now so that come the new year, you already have a head start on getting after that 2.0 version of you. 
And if you're enjoying our podcast so far, we hope you'll subscribe and leave us a positive review so we can continue bringing on guests you want to hear from and reach more people. And we'd love if you can take a screenshot of this episode, mention your favorite takeaway, or just tag us at solo 2.0 podcast and we will repost it as well. Thank you for listening. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. So be patient and kind to yourself and good things will come. We'll see you next time.